Welcome in lacrosse fans to the eighth episode of the Utah Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam, the current sports information director for the Utah men's lacrosse team. The last time we talked, the team had Oregon and Washington coming to town. Those games were favorable for the Utes as they beat Oregon 15-6 and Washington 18-8. Here's Coach Holman after the Oregon game. Uh, Coach, coming off a 15-6 win over Oregon, uh, kind of a different game than the, the previous six. What, uh, what were your overall thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought Oregon did a nice job. They were, they were really athletic, and I think they challenged us in, in some areas, but, but I thought we responded really well. You know, um, you know, our guys played really hard. I think we did some things that are a little uncharacteristic. You know, we, we had, I think, six, seven penalties, maybe three or four of those were, were from sticks swinging. So, you know, and we let four, you know, I think there were four turnovers and running the ball out on the end line. So I, I think we did a lot of really good things. Um, but there are some things that we'll, we'll learn from, and that's the whole point, right, to play these games and learn and, and, and make those things better for the next opponent. So The Washington game was a complete blizzard, so thanks to the fans who braved the elements. Here are Coach Holman's thoughts after the game. Uh, another victory, victory today, you know, pretty sloppy uh, weather, sloppy conditions. But what was your overall message to the team after the game? Um, it, it was, you know, we're, we're at a halfway point and we've done a really good job uh, of the first half of the season. And now the goal will be to, to continue to build off of that and then fix some things that we need to fix. We haven't had a lot of practices lately, and I think some of that showed in the last couple games, but that's okay. These are all things that are fixable. So really the true message was outstanding work. Um, We have a big, bright future. All of our goals are still in front of us, and we're going to get back to work uh, next week after a couple days off there on spring break uh, and then push forward. Sure. How do you, you know, you mentioned spring break, you know, uh, more or less two weeks before the next game. How do you keep the team focused when they come back from break? How do you keep them kind of pushing onward and upward? Yeah, we got a good plan in place for that. <laughs> no, um, it just we'll get back to practice. And really a lot of these guys are looking forward to that because that that's where that's what got them to this spot right now. So, so. You know, them understanding that and embracing that. And we really do like to practice. They love going against each other. It's yeah. tough competition. Uh, I think that's going to be the focus. And, and then get back and do the little things that, that, that Utah lacrosse is all about. So. Our guest uh, this week is Jack Coyne, the Director of External Affairs for the MCLA. He's in his third year in that role, where he is tasked with publicizing the association and helping to run much of its day-to-day operations. Jack, a native of, of Wellesley, Massachusetts, worked for U.S. Lacrosse for 15 years as a writer for Lacrosse Magazine and an editor of its website. Prior to that, he was a newspaper reporter and sports information director. He, his wife Kimberly, and, and five children reside in La Crosse, Wisconsin, of all places. Uh, he has an undergrad from uh, Colby and a master's in journalism from Iowa. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing excellent, Tim. Thanks for having me this week. Yeah, no problem. This is a, this is a first for the Utah Lacrosse podcast. Uh, you're the first one to do a, a phone interview, and then you're also the first one who isn't part of uh, either the staff or the team. So welcome. We appreciate it. Honored and blessed to be here. <laughs> um, let's talk a, a couple questions for you. One is, uh, what's it like living in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and being a La Crosse person? 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a little awkward because there's actually a uh, a lacrosse magazine in town here, and when I used to work for lacrosse magazine, um, I'd say, oh, you know, I, I write for lacrosse magazine, and they say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I've read that, and I, I just I said, no, you haven't, but it's okay, and it, I just sort of let it go after a while. Uh, you know, my wife was in the Air Force, we bounced around for quite a bit, so uh, trying to, you know, talking about lacrosse in different areas of the country, it's still getting sort of started here, so it, it can be a little awkward, and uh, now with, um, the MD, with the MCLA, it's uh, trying to try to do that, I just tell them I, I babysit the kids, that's what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're Mr. Mom, I'm not so that. Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, for, for the fans listening, I met Jack back at the, and, and you may remember this, you might not, and, and I won't be funded if you didn't, but uh, I Denver, met you at the, yeah, Denver in, in 2011, and so... I was working at the time with, with college US RIP. And, uh, we, <laughs> Sonny had sent me out there, uh, my brother and I out there to, to cover the final four, uh, for, for D2 and D1. And I, and that's where I ran into you. I, I have to, I have to give credit where it's due. You, you, uh, you really helped me that weekend in, in getting around and kind of navigating the, the ins and outs of the national tournament. So I appreciate that. No, it's something sort of paying it forward because uh, I, you know, when I first got involved with the MCLA, I was a complete outsider as well, and it's kind of weird. But I had uh, people that were there that sort of introduced me and got me sort of going on things. So I think that's sort of the nature of journalists too. I think they're they're more helpful than not in sort of getting people acclimated to things. So that's just part of the process. Sure, and uh, we'll talk about that experience a little more later. But before uh, before we jump into sort of the the national style for that. Uh, let's let's talk about this current team. What's uh, what do you know about the current U team? What are what are some observations about this year's team versus previous teams? Um, you know, where where do you feel the youths are at? Well, I'll say my only comparison is basically from last year to this year because just the nature of I just didn't follow Utah because they weren't really on the grid at that point. You know, obviously the, I think it was their first uh, tournament last year since what '03 or something was their first one. So they really weren't on the radar, but I, watching them last year and watching them at Nationals and then watching a little bit of what I've seen this year and just looking at some of the numbers um, online, you know, how they're doing, um, you know, I, I go, I harken back to my sort of uh, writing days when I interviewed a lot of coaches from Division Two, Division Three ranks, some Division One, what, how they talked about different teams. And it's sort of a baseball term, and it's certainly not my usage of it because lacrosse guys have used this, but they – um, when you're strong up the middle, um, you're really kind of ahead of the game. And when I look at uh, what this year's team compared to last year's team, uh, I, I see strong up the middle. Um, obviously, with Costa and Net, um, and then you got Abizad. Uh, I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, at faceoff, and then a guy up front who can, when the you know timer's on, it's getting late, or just when you need a goal. You know, a guy like Stout, uh, the younger one, um, having him uh, uh, up the middle there uh, on the attack, those those are three huge puzzle pieces that when you have them on the board, it's a lot easier to fill in the other pieces when you've got those. So that seems to be the big uh, difference that I've seen because they, they've really taken over games, uh, all three of them at times. Um, so I think that, for me, is the big difference. And obviously – you know, it takes a team effort and everything like that, but that's really what stood out to me so far. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Those those three players are definitely uh, standouts on the team. Um, you know, the the 
the, the coaches in the MCLA poll, and maybe we can talk about how the MCLA poll works as a whole, but um, they've, they've ranked Utah at number one. Do you, do you feel that uh, Utah is the number one team, or do you still feel that maybe that Chapman uh, it would, would be better in that spot? Think about the polls, and, and these, this sort of transcends all levels of lacrosse, collegiate lacrosse, and I think probably high school, uh, they have them there too, is polls really, from my perspective, um, are sort of PR tools in some degree. They, they don't hold a lot of weight. And I know there's sort of this tradition in the MCLA that it's, it's one of the criteria uh, that is used uh, for choosing and seeding. Um, and so there's that aspect which makes it a little bit different in the MCLA. Um, I think the argument can be made that the, the number one, and just to get back to what, what you're saying and how the poll works, you know, each, there's 27 pollsters in Division One, and, you know, they, they rank them online, and it, it's done automatically online when they set it up. And, you know, I, I get a lot of feedback, you know, social media that somehow it was, put together by me or, you know, this cabal of people. It's really coaches, three coaches from each conference are inputted. Um, and so it's really egalitarian in that regard. Whether it's right or not, uh, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding. Um, so, honestly, I don't put a whole lot of stock in polls. And when I saw your question on this, my thought was not whether Utah was number one uh, in the polls, but sort of two questions is, are they – uh, or do they have the potential to be the number one seed in the MCLA tournament, and can they win it? Um, and but on the first factor with that, can they be a number one seed? Yes, I think they can. I think right now, if Chapman wins out, it wins the SCLC, uh, finishes undefeated, and Utah finishes undefeated in the uh, RMLC, I, I think it'll be it'll be really interesting. I think it'll almost be a toss-up. So I think they could be in that degree. Uh, you know, in that situation, if there's one loss either way, I think it can be. But more importantly, I think Utah, right now, if they take care of business, they can be a top three seed. And as we've seen, your boy Jordan Harris puts out stuff now. Uh, he put out some stuff about where, you know, the champions come from. And in MCLA history, at Division One anyway, they've all come from the top three seeds. So I think that's to be Utah's focus right now, uh, is to get one of those, because you really – it's very difficult to win uh, without those three Cs. Then the question is, can they win it? And the very interesting nature of the MCLA tournament is it's unlike any tournament uh, in lacrosse because you have to win four games in six days. And that's actually been modified. It used to be four games in five days. It was only one day off. Now you have two days off. So the, the tournament is not necessarily about who has the best players. It is who has the most depth, uh, in addition to who has the, you know, the, a workable seed, because you need a, an easy first-round game. So uh, when I look at Utah, uh, the depth is building. Very young team, you know, with all the freshmen and sophomores I see. And we talked about those guys up the middle. You know, typically you want them to maybe be juniors and seniors to have the most impact. You've got, what, freshman, freshman, sophomore, I think. But um, if the depth is there, that's where it happens. You know, in, in uh, I think back to Arizona State, and I think you were there in Denver and Arizona State. I think they may have had um, seven of the ten best players on the field every game that they played, but they could never, in, during their big stretch run when they were getting to the semifinals and finals every year, they could never get over the top just because they didn't have that second-line, third-line depth across the board. And the one year 
that they pulled the, the biggest upset maybe in MCLA history when they beat Michigan in the semifinals. I mean, maybe that was 2000, 2011. I can't remember. But they ran out of gas, and they ended up losing to a deeper Brigham Young team in the finals, um, which was an exciting game. But they, they just didn't have the gas. So it's all about depth. So that will be, as I watch Utah in these, especially when they get into these three big games in the RMLC, I'll be watching their depth. Um, because you just can't go with your front-line guys for four games in six, six days. You have to have that second and third line they can produce. So that's that's a big question. I guess to bounce the question off of you, because you obviously see them on a daily basis, do you feel like they have that at this point? So I, I, I do, you know, and, and uh, so a couple a couple notes on that, though. So one would be um, of the practice on Saturday, you know, and, and Coach Holman, after every practice, the team gets together and, and the coaches, you know, kind of break down practice and kind of, you know, talk to the team. And, and Coach Holman's message was, look, guys, like, we are obviously playing really well, but we haven't been tested in the second half of any game. <laughs> and so, you know, that'll be kind of the next challenge. And, you know, he was saying, like, look, you know, these next games that are up ahead of us, obviously, uh, you know, there's a scrimmage on the, the scrimmage on Friday against Westminster. That we're going to be challenged in the second half. And so how do we respond to that? And so, uh, to answer your question, though, I, in in six out of in six of the games so far, everyone has played, and so I think in terms of depth, that goes a long way, because um, you know Utah has a lot of it, it's not we're not just playing the same 15, 16 guys. Everyone's played in in six of those games, and so now whether whether or not those third, fourth guys can play uh, in a tight game against a, a big name school, you know. In the second half, we'll we'll see. But I, uh, you know, being the being the 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 homer that I am, I I think we do have the depth. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and the one other thing I, I can think of is I'm not sure. in that looking over your schedule, whether you've really faced a premium uh, face-off guy. Like I was thinking to myself, okay, Utah gets the number one seed. There's a potential they could see BC in the second round, in the quarterfinals. You know, and go up against a guy that they have who's a all-American. You know, a guy who's really going to give because I, I forget the last game that I was watching with him. It was it was Toy Story too. I mean, it was he was just holding it and just throwing it either forward or backward to the wingman that he wanted to. Um, and so that that's going to be a little bit complicated. So the wing play will be a little different. Um, just the games that I've seen, it's been such a dominant performance um, that I'm curious to see. You know, when you have to go up, you know, game after game with the shorter breaks. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on a, on a coach uh, like Coach Holman. Obviously, he's he has the pedigree as anybody, but you know that preparation from game to game so quickly and that turnaround—it's uh, really a challenge, and it's a challenge for a lot of the MCLA coaches as well. Because I think teams have lost that may have been the better team, but they just didn't know how to turn it around quickly in terms of coaching. So there's so many variables with this short turnaround in this tournament, and honestly, that's what makes it kind of exciting. Obviously, it is top-heavy, and there is more success at the top. Um, but I think, you know, you saw last year when Michigan State got slotted as a, as a 16 seed going against BYU. They almost beat them. And I think that there's not going to be too many softies this year um, when the, the field is uh, set up. So that will be a challenge as well. So, no, it's exciting, you know, talking about this kind of stuff, especially with Utah there, because I think, you know, obviously they're going to be one of the uh, – you know, I think top top three anyway, but you know the top eight are going to be all really competitive, so it's exciting. But yeah, no, I'll I'll be curious to see uh, when you guys get into RMLC. I think that'll be a great litmus, litmus test. And even if you 
you lose a game, it's not going to be the end of the world. I still think you can get that one of those premium seeds. Sure. How, I mean, along those lines, how do you see the RMLC shaking out this year? Um, you know, I think, honestly, Colorado State is that wild card because I thought they were sort of – they were heading off the cliff a little bit. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, they get a great goalie play out of Frank Hain and they upset, you know, the number three team in the country defending national champ. So that throws in this really interesting wild card. Obviously, I think they're the fourth best team in the league. Um, you know, BYU seems to have figured out some things defensively um, after getting, what, hanging, or they got 19 hung on by Davenport. I think that was a really a wake-up call, and it may have been the best thing that ever happened to them because they really uh, held Simon Fraser in check for the most part, a really dynamic team. So they're coming on, and then Colorado, you know, their only losses to Chapman on the road, you know, and they beat GCU as well. So they're a team that, when you talk about depth and just difference makers like Makarov uh, in the middle, and they're, they're face-off guys, a little up and down, but um, I think uh, McLafferty from GCU handled them pretty good this past weekend. Um, but, you know, and they have guys up front that can do some things. So it, it's going to be a great tournament. You know, if I was going to prognosticate, you know, I, I, could see, I would see it going – uh, Utah and Colorado one two either way, and then BYU and then Colorado State. So, long story short, number one is not going to get a freebie in the first round, and I think that sure. really uh, sets up a really wild card scenario where anything could happen. Uh, anything else on this uh, on this current Utah team? Um, no, I mean uh, it's you know there's always always this dynamic of um, you know them going to the. Uh, NCA next year, and it brings in sort of this whole, you know, uh, a different flavor. And it's much like that what happened with Michigan in their last year. Um, you know, that was one of the things where we've we've never sent off a team to the NCAA, whether it was Richmond or U, or not Utah, but Richmond, Michigan, um, whoever it was, you know, off on a national championship. The Michigan one, obviously, being the the most unlikely. So, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, considers Utah ready to sort of go off on the sunset with an MCLA title. Um, and I'm really excited to see how they do, because obviously the players that I'm watching are fantastic, you know, great coaching, great coaching staff. You know, it's, uh, it's a testament to the MCLA that, you know, they're, uh, they're going to get a, a run here down the stretch. But we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to see it. Sure, yeah. I, I guess that uh, that leads me into sort of the, the next section of the podcast. There's a lot I want to talk about with uh, kind of the MCLA tournament in general. But before we before we dive into that, what, what's your origin story? Um, you know, when did when did you want to become a journalist? And then, if I remember correctly, um, when we talked last year at the at the national tournament, you've never played lacrosse, is that right? That's correct. I, I went to um, a, a, my high school. Uh, was a, it's a prep school out in Massachusetts called the Noble and Greeno School. Excellent lacrosse um, school. Still is very good. Um, plays in the ISL which uh, produces a lot of guys to go to uh, the NESCACs and the Ivies and things like that. I, I was a baseball guy, played baseball, wasn't very good at it, uh, but uh, played that. So, yeah, no, I never played lacrosse. So what happened was um, after I graduated from Colby, I went down to Washington Lee University um, and uh, played. You know, Colby had a good – actually, Billy Bush was my year at Colby, and he was a very good lacrosse player, um, one of the captains there. So it kind of – Got a feel for lacrosse there. Went down to Washington Lee, sort of a next level um, down there with Jim Sagnita as the coach, uh, who's now he's gone on to Division One in the pros now. Uh, got a better feel for it there. Uh, and my boss 
who worked there, uh, Brian Logue. He's now the director of communications at U.S. Across. And it was when I left. I went and got my journalism degree. I was a GA for the Iowa football team, and then we went in the Air Force. And I worked as a newspaper out in Dixon, California, and it was it was awful. It was just I. I it was a terrible job, terrible paper, terrible beat. Um, and so Brian called me up out of the blue and said, "Hey, we're getting this website together for Lacrosse Magazine. You know, you want to write for us remotely?" Uh, and I said, "Yeah, um, I'm in." And so the thought was once we separated from the military, I'd go and get a regular job, whatever. And I just kept on doing it because we kept on having kids. Um, so Stable Lacrosse Magazine uh, sort of adopted sort of a Division Two, II, Division Three MCLA small college beat uh, and did that for a long time. Um, and then up until, you know, a couple of years ago when the MCLA approached me and I thought it would be interesting to try something new and where my kids were at and sort of the demands that they had on me, uh, it was a better fit for me. So, uh yeah, it's sort of a, a long, big, big circle. That's great. Um, talk about your time at, at U.S. Lacrosse and working for Lacrosse Magazine. You know, like you mentioned, you, you've worked at MCLA and the D2 and D3 Beach. What uh, what were some of the, you know, the, the bigger memories or bigger stories that you remember writing when you were there? Um, you know, I just enjoyed the, the, the so, so many great feature stories. You know, I was I always wrote notebooks and things like that, but it was finding – and digging, I had great relationships with the coaches where I could text them or call them at any point. They'd call me back after big games or if they had a great story. You know, there was a kid at Denison who had something called uh, amniotic band syndrome where his fingers got cut off at the knuckles on both hands. Um, and he turned up to be an All-American um, uh, midfielder for Denison. And I wrote that story. And then I got an email two days after that story, and it was the Washington Elite women's coach. And... Uh, she and her husband, who was a football coach at WNL, um, she was, went to Amherst, texted me and said, listen, read this story. My daughter has ABS, and, you know, she lost part of her hand or something like that, and we were so devastated because we were worried that she couldn't play athletics, and I read your story about, you know, this kid who went on to be an All-American even though he had, you know, lost most of his hand. Um, you know, it was, it was just those little things where you could write a story and, t- and tell somebody else's story well um, people may be getting inspired by it, um, was really the, the highlight for me. You know, it was always, as I said, the interaction with the coaches. You get to be friends with them a little bit. Um, and they give you information. They give you good stories and things like that. So, I, I, listen, I, I'll fully admit that I missed that sort of grind, uh, and it was a grind um, at Lacrosse Magazine. But it was really fulfilling. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, don't get quite as much of that just because I don't have the time now with the MCLA, but I try to write stories whenever I can or at least get some stuff up there that's a little bit more original. But, no, it was uh, really enjoyed my time. He was across, still in contact with all those guys. Um, Steve Stenerson's been really good to the MCLA, really good to me. So great organization. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, the MCLA, they've been very good to the MCLA in general, just sort of covering and giving us what they want. Uh, so, no, it was a great experience. Yeah, I, I uh, obviously enjoyed reading reading your MCLA stuff back then. I'll, I'll be honest, I don't read much of the D2, D3 stuff, but I think you'll forgive me. No, no, that's fine. You know, everybody has their niche. <laughs> and that's uh, sort of you. Well, I, I also don't cover. I don't read Division One stuff. I couldn't tell you who's number one in the polls right now, Division One. So yeah, way it goes. Yeah. Um, what What is sort of your day to day working for the MCLA? What does a typical day or week look like for you? Uh, you know, we we sort of have a you know, the, the awards come out Tuesday, you know, the commanding performance of the week. So that's sort of a lot of my Monday, maybe putting up some releases that come in from you guys or 
whoever does releases. You know, then Wednesdays the polls, a lot of stuff. And then I'm, I try to get out two sort of mini features, you know, one of them on Friday, so the weekend preview, talk about some stuff. Um, you know, I, I drop my kids off. <laughs> you know, I joke with people, it's my primary job. I got five kids. Um, two of them go to daycare. Three of them go to elementary school. So I drop them off at 7.15 in the morning, come back. I work till about 2.45 and go pick them up. And then things pretty much uh, shut down for a couple hours till my wife gets home. I get, I make the dinner. I do everything like that. And then in the evening, I get a little bit more work done in season. I mean, one of the things about the seasonal sports like cross, you know, my summers are, are nice. You know, we get to do a lot of things, get to be with my kids and do a lot of stuff, taxing them around to things. So, um but I, I enjoy my job immensely, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and a lot of challenges pop up along the way, um, which, you know, just the nature of 200 teams and the sort of the club aspect of it, and some teams were operating on different levels than others. So it's great. It's it's fulfilling. It's challenging. And, uh, yeah, I'm no, really happy to be here. Sure. A um, couple, couple just random uh, sort of questions about the NCAA in general. You know, the NCAA is really strong as, as kind of on the West Coast. And sort of, you know, weaker, not weak, but weaker on the East, uh, which is sort of the opposite of the NCAA. What, you know, what, I mean, what kind of causes that? Obviously not a lot of MCLA teams are going to be doing D1, but, you know, sort of what, how is that different or has that taken adjustment for you after covering D2 and D3 and kind of having that East Coast thing, but now you kind of have to focus on the West Coast? Has that been different for you or? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's just the density of teams. I mean, they're, there's sort of that that mid-Atlantic from New England all the way down with every, it's all, they're all stuffed in there. And, it, and one of the things that it took me a while to grasp, and as I moved around the country from California to Idaho to Wisconsin, is you know you can get from Maine to Baltimore, and you know as much time as it takes you to get you know like halfway through to Cal, you know north, south, and California. I mean it's such a bigger expanse out in the west, and I think people realize oh you know. You know, I make a big deal about how much the MCLA teams travel because I think it's great. But you know, there's a lot of conferences. You know, even just Utah to Colorado. I mean, that's not like a you know a Tuesday bus trip. You know, where you're going there and back. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a huge investment of time, money, True. you know, academic capital. You know, all of these things. And, I, and so it, it's important for me as publicizing this group the, the amount of sacrifices that are made to do it because it's not just going from Baltimore to Pennsylvania, you know, a two-hour bus ride. I mean, these bus rides are 10, 12 hours if they're not, if, you know, if it's not a flight. So when I sort of grasped that whole aspect and gained an appreciation for it, um, then you sort of gain appreciation of the coaches and what they do, and you understand that they don't do it for a lot of money. Some people don't do it for a lot of money. Other coaches get a stipend or whatever. Um, so it's, you know, the writing, you know, the coaches are the same, you know, the sport's the same. Uh, the commitment level is the same, if not more, I think, than a lot of NCA D2 and D3 programs. But in terms of just shifting from East Coast to West Coast, it's it's not that big a deal. You know, other than you know, I'm in the Central Time Zone, and so I have to wait a couple hours before I contact the uh, West Coast guys. But they're actually up pretty early. I'm pretty impressed by how quickly they respond. <laughs> I think it's uh, early to rise, early to bed. That's how we go about here. Right. <laughs> um. The MCLA tournament it, it will be here in Salt Lake uh, City this year and, and next year. What uh, what are some of the advantages of coming to Utah? You know, why why did ultimately the selection committee pick Salt Lake? Uh, you know, what are some things that the MCLA as a whole is kind of looking forward to about coming here? 
Well, as long as you guys do your job and get to the finals, it'll be great. We'll have people streaming through the turnstile, <laughs> make a ton of cash. I mean, uh, so make sure you're, you're holding up your end of the bargain here. No, honestly, uh, you know, California, oh, California's great. You know, Orange County, you're by the beach. We had a, uh, staff house in Newport Beach, you know, a block away from the, uh, ocean. It was, you know, it was fantastic, but, um, it was a two venue site. So you had to pick up, um, after the quarterfinals and then move over to Chapman for the semifinals and finals. A lot of logistical stuff there, uh, a lot of expense that, that came with that. Um, having everything um, at one site, you know, and obviously you, you probably know the site very well. I, I've never been on site yet, but that regional athletic complex looks like it will have everything we need, um, and it will be one site. You know, your guy Rick can set up one time. He doesn't have to set it up, move it up, you know, waste all his time moving on a whatever it is, a Thursday um, or Wednesday. And so – I'm looking forward. I, I think it's a great venue. I've heard nothing but great things about it. The people in Salt Lake City, the, the commissions they have there, whether it be the uh, Chamber of Commerce and the other people we work with, they've been awesome to work with. Very receptive, very, you know, um, receptive to give us whatever we need, really. Um, you know Salt Lake better, City better than I, obviously. Um, I've dri- driven through it very briefly, uh, coming uh, back east from Idaho. Um, but I don't know. It's just it's just exciting to have something new, you know, um, in a new place. And obviously, you know, BYU and Utah are involved. You know, it's bigger crowds, uh, more of a buzz. Uh, you know, we'll see what other other teams uh, are, are there. But I think the ease of getting in there with the uh, big airport right there. I, I guess is Salt Lake City considered cheaper than California? I mean, standard, uh, cost of living. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, my my dad my dad actually was telling me yesterday that a, a two bedroom apartment in LA is thirty two hundred dollars. Um, and, and that's I mean for thirty two hundred dollars you're living in a seven thousand square foot house. <laughs> so okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, consider considerably cheaper. But it, yeah, you know, you make good points. You know, the the athletic center or complex is uh, I think this will be its third year in existence. Uh, it, it hosted successfully the WCLA championship last right. year yeah. uh so they've got lacrosse experience there um you can you could uh if you were in the control tower of the airport you could see the fields from the airport so oh. um not not far at all and then uh you know i think one of the other benefits is just there's no there's not a lot of traffic and so it'll be easy for, for teams to get in and out of you mentioned uh the, the airport it is going on it is undergoing re- renovation which will make it even more Efficient. I don't think I've waited in a security line more than 15 minutes there uh, oh, wow. in the past five, six years. So I think, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be exciting for, for everyone to come out. And then, you know, I think, uh, Utah as a, Utah as a state has a rich MCLA history with, you know, formerly Westminster, obviously BYU and then, you know, UVU making some waves. You know, UVU had won, uh, they won a Division II championship. Um, and so they, you know, it's formerly Utah Valley State College. So, uh, you know, in Westminster, won a D2 championship as well. So, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Should be should be a good event. Uh, I, I guess my final question around that is, do you think having the tournament here benefits, you know, Utah or BYU? Um, or do, do you think it benefits teams that, you know, can kind of um, shut off the outside world and, and go back to their hotels and, and not really be bothered by family or friends, you know? Or, or do you think sleeping in your own beds is going to be more advantageous? Yeah, it's a good question because you, you you look back at Orange County and say Chapman won a championship there. 
I think made it, you know, to a finals. I think, and then another semifinal when they're there. So you say, oh wow, that's a pretty if you uh, home field advantage. But I, just personally, I would think it would be harder to do just with all of the distractions of being sort of you know on campus, you know, uh, just knowing everything. So uh, it's a great question. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm sure Coach Holman has gone through it. You know, at different places. So I'm sure he'll have the uh, the, the necessary you know way to make sure everybody has their head on straight and things of that nature. Same with Matt Schneck as well, who played uh, football at BYU, and I'm sure he's been through that home and away uh, situation. So I don't know. I, I think it, it may be overblown. I mean, what do you think? Is it worth a couple of goals? Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, logistically, it's, it's going to save the money, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it'll be a huge advantage. Cause again, just doubling back to what we talked about before, it's all about that depth. And you could be in your own backyard and have the best 11 players, but if you don't have that second or third line, I can guarantee you you're not going to win a championship. So I think I think it's personally, I think it's overblown, but if you made the argument you know, and pointed at Chapman, you'd have to listen for sure. So we'll see. I mean, you guys may be riding off, or, you or, or BYU will be riding off into the sunset. Who knows? Sure. Um, sort of along those lines, what's, uh, looking, looking at the MCLA as a whole, kind of, what is their mission statement? I, I assume that it's growth, uh, you know, and, and, and what, what would be, what's the key to maybe, uh, achieving that mission, especially when you have teams who are, uh, you know, bouncing between Division One, and then obviously, you know, we've had a couple come down from Division, NCAA Division Two, and then you kind of have the NAIA thing. So I guess what, you know, the, the, the short question is, what's the MCLA's key to uh, to growth, uh, assuming that, that that's their goal? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of <laughs> – when I, I get asked, like, oh, you must be excited. You know, Utah is going Division One. You know, you're growing these programs. You know, when's Florida State going? When's BC going? You know, when's Michigan State going? And really, growth is not really our objective. It's always been about opportunity. We want to give student-athletes a chance. Maybe they don't want to go east. Maybe they want to stay home, or they have to stay home for whatever reason, or they they have a school with a particular major that may not have varsity lacrosse, but they want to they want to play for a championship, play for a good team. Um, so it's not really about growth. If, if growth is a byproduct of it, fantastic. You know, as you know, when I first took this job, they asked me, so you know, how do we handle, you know, Michigan State or you know, Coast Guard or whenever they're going, to, you know, do we just ignore them or what? I said, no, we embrace them. I said, we created these things, you know. We take credit for them, you know, uh, however uh, specious that may be. Um, you know, th- that's something, you know, PR-wise, you know, obviously we take credit for it, but we're really not – we're not here to build the NCAA. Um, we're here to give student-athletes that opportunity. You know, if – you know, maybe he's a kid who could have gone to Susquehanna, Pennsylvania, and he went to uh, – was it Juan Diego, whatever, whatever your schools are out there. And he said, you know what? No, you know, I can't afford it. I don't, they don't have my major. You know, he wants to go to UVU. Okay, you can go to UVU now. You can play in a great conference. You can get a great education. And you can play lacrosse for a championship if they're good enough. Um, so that's really what the MCLA's model is. It's just giving those lacrosse. And the MCLA is going to get, you know, obviously Utah going next year is a big thing. But the growth in Division One has been very, very slow. Um, as you know, and so as look, high school lacrosse grows all around the country, these kids need a place to go. And so as a result, even since I've uh, started covering, the MCLA quality of player has gotten exponentially better. 
um, you know, I, I want you know, look at Dylan Garner and some of the kids on the Utah team. I mean, the, obviously they're going Division One, but Dylan Garner is a phenomenal player. You know, could have played at any Division Three school out east, but you know, he chose he's from Oregon. He chose to come to Chapman because whatever, maybe he wanted to go to school in Orange County, or whatever. He has a chance now, win a championship, play for a great team. So that's that sort of encapsulates what the MCLA is all about. Just that, you know, you don't have to be limited to the East Coast to play good lacrosse for a championship. Yeah, I, I like that, you know, and it kind of it kind of goes with, uh, um, you know, there are a bunch of teams that are kind of in that virtual varsity status where they're treating it as if it were an NCAA-sanctioned sport, you know. Uh, obviously, there's still some things that are different in, the, in that regard in terms of regulations and rules and stuff like that, but. Uh, you know, obviously it's, it's no secret to, to probably anyone listening to this podcast that, uh, you know, you, the current Utah team's obviously sort of in that boat where, you know, it's, it's practice and, and lifting, you know, five, six times a week. And obviously our coaching staff is, is full time. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been good. I, I like your point about how it's a, it's a place to, um, it's a place to be for kids who, who don't want to or, or can't for whatever reason, but it gives them a good place to play, a good, healthy, competitive place to play. Um, and I, I, just to follow up on that point, I, I think, you know, you guys, you know, with the, the five days a week, you know, going, uh, approaching like a Division One team, and obviously I don't want to put uh, words in, in Coach Holman's mouth or anything like that, but uh, you guys still know that you're going to get a battle with BYU and Colorado, and these teams are going to be staying in the MCLA and at Nationals as well. Because there's just that, that quality of product there. You know, the coaching may vary and with the depth may vary as we've talked about, but it's, it's a good league. There's good lacrosse here and you can't just, no matter how good you are, you can't mail it in, uh, from a week to week basis because you will get beat. Uh, so I think that's what's special about it as well. Absolutely. Um, do, do you feel like, uh, you know, you mentioned that not then the growth at NCA Division One has been slow. Um, but you know, the last two P5 schools, so Michigan and Utah, and obviously, you know, you have your Richmonds and schools like that have, have played in the NCAA. Do you, is there sort of this fear or, or I guess, you know, from your previous comment, you kind of embrace the NCAA being sort of a launching pad for NCAA teams. And I know those aren't necessarily always connected like, like they are at Utah, but, and, and at Michigan, but, um, do you feel that the MCLA, uh, sort of, is okay with that, or do you think that they would have it done differently? No, I, I think that's fine. You know, and you, you you talk about some teams; it's not linear at all. Where Utah, it's, it's kind of linear. Michigan was, you know, Marquette. They kind of came out of nowhere. Even Richmond, to some mm-hmm. degree. Um, you know, a lot of Division Three, like Palm Beach Atlantic, and everything. I don't think necessarily that they looked at the MCLA success, particularly, and said, "Okay, you know, cause I, Marquette wasn't very good in the MCLA, frankly, sure. when they were in it." Um, so. Um, Obviously, you know, we want to stay solvent, and the more teams we had, you know, a couple of years ago when we lost all those NAIA teams, uh, especially in the Michigan way and some of them down in Florida, um, you know, that took a chunk out of our membership dues, you know, and so it it caused us to reevaluate some things. We had to tighten some things up. Um, and, you know, one of the questions, and I, you know, I'll just preempt you on this one. One of the questions is why doesn't the MCLA – you know, have teams at, you know, schools that have varsity programs, you know, why mm-hmm. wouldn't, you know, if when Utah goes next year, why wouldn't they have an MCLA team? Um, and it was one of the questions I asked when I first uh, got on, you know, I started covering the league. I said, you know, why would you limit yourself? You know, there's all these viable teams because there's a couple of good nickel teams 
we get and some other ones, um, you know, Denver or something like that, who uh, has mm-hmm. a pretty decent club team. And the, the response was, uh, and this comes down from Jason Lamb at BYU to John Paul at Michigan to Tony Scazzaro who, at Texas A&M, who are all presidents, and it boils down to we don't want to be second fiddle on any campus. Um, and so with that said, it limits our growth a little bit. Um, so we, we look, we're sort of thinking strategically. There's a, a um, league in Pennsylvania, a bunch of traditional NCAA D2 schools, it's the PSAC, that will never have men's lacrosse just because they, they don't have the numbers to do it. But cuts down state, you know, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, uh, East uh, Stroudsburg, a bunch of those teams. We need to look at those. You know, and some teams maybe like James Madison or, or something, something along those lines. We have to stay proactive and have to sort of embrace them if they want to uh, come in the uh, MCLA. Because the MCLA is not easy. I mean, it, t- it takes a, a huge commitment, uh, a lot of money, uh, you know, uniforms that they're not used to spending on. You're spending with pennies and things like that. So it's growth is always on our mind because we have to stay solvent, but we have to be strategic about it, um, and we have to make sure we're getting the right teams involved as well. So, um, yeah, as much as it's all about opportunity, yeah, we, we have to keep an eye on the bottom line for sure. And losing a team like Utah, uh, you know, it, it forces the RMLC to sort of look at some things because now, you know, are they going to be – they going to still have the AQ and, or do they have to maybe shuffle some teams? So there's, there's always that sort of movement going on that we have to keep an eye on, and we do, and it's not just sort of – you know, we're not just sort of have our heads in the clouds. You know, we know we have to keep our eye out for viable opportunities. Sure. I, I mean, I guess along those lines, explain to explain to the fans, you know, sort of what does the what does the MCLA at the board, right, the board of directors, and kind of what are some of those positions, and, and what are those guys responsible for on a, you know, during the season, or you know, what are what are kind of they looking for uh, when it comes to their positions? Sure. You know, Ken Lovick, who's the head coach of Georgia Tech, is our president, um, and, and he sort of has on-company view, my position was sort of hired on to be sort of a little bit of a, a conduit to him where, you know, obviously he can coach his team and make decisions, but I can sort of streamline the process, you know, if potential partners or sponsors want to get involved, I'll talk to them, and, you know, if there's questions or things like that, they don't always need to go to the executive board. I can maybe handle them or sort of act as sort of a gatekeeper of sorts. Um, you have Gary Podesta, who's the head of competition. Uh, he runs our polls. He runs our selection committee. Um, and he's on the executive board. Mike Anala, who uh, Gary used to coach at uh, Santa Clara. He doesn't coach anymore, but he's in that role. Mike Anala is our treasurer. Uh, he does a fantastic job, very savvy, uh, and works very hard to keep us in the black, which we are, uh, which is pretty impressive for an organization of our size and a lot of the outlays that we have, especially for our championship. He's, uh, he works at Sonoma State uh, as one of their administrators. Um, we've just... Uh, added Doug Horn, uh, who will work a lot with our awards, uh, so putting together our, our All-America teams and our scholar-athlete teams. Um, make sure, oh, uh, Doug Carl, uh, who is a former coach at Sonoma, he is our eligibility chair. When you do all of your eligibility checks, everything has to go through him to make sure that uh, you are eligible. You know, as much as people think it may be club ball or whatever, we do have actually – fairly stringent uh, eligibility requirements that are not too far off of the NCAAs. Uh, and in the case of some conferences, are as stiff as the NCAAs in terms of grade point average and eligibility and in terms of red shirts and things like that. So that's sort of the group. And I'm, my role is sort of to be 
you know, let them, because they all have day jobs. You know, my job is to sort of collect the information and let them, um, you know, see what they need to see and not just throw everything at them. Also, Jason Stockton, who is the director of the PNCLL up in the Pacific Northwest, he's on the board as well as a voting member. And Pete Moosebrugger, um, who used to be the coach at St. Thomas when they started their dynasty up in Minnesota, he is also on the um, executive board as well and a voting member. What are what's how often those guys meet and sort of what are what are some of the decisions that, that they're faced with? Maybe not specifically, but what you know, what does a general meeting look like for them? Uh they have an annual meeting, uh where they get actually face to face meeting. Uh typically last couple of years it has been in San Francisco, where they fly everybody into San Francisco and they meet at a hotel there and they basically two days, it's a pretty exhaustive, you know, close the doors and get a lot of stuff done. I think it's moving to Las Vegas this coming year. It coincides with my uh, family's trip to Maine, so I haven't been there the last couple of years, but Vegas may change the, the dynamic there. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But they have all any number of things. We, sponsorships, um, uh, fee, uh, fines for teams that aren't, you know, updating the scores or getting their uh, box scores done in the allotted amount of time, or maybe they left early from a tournament, say, uh, whatever the uh, case may be. Uh, they have to uh, work on that stuff, um, and just each conference has their own set of challenges. You know, a lot of times it's, you know, for instance, um, I think this coming year, the CCLA and the PCLL will probably combine uh, into one conference, um, you know, so losing one conference but gaining a, a bigger one. It's just little stuff like that, and there's always this look ahead where they're, they're thinking about issues. Where are the championships going to be? You know, where the you know this past year was the bidding process, and that was a big part of uh, what they were talking about, what they were voting on, pros and cons, things of that nature. So there's always a litany of things that they have uh, uh, on their agenda. Uh, and so you know what they do is they'll call me out in Maine for two hours, and I'll, I'll get on there and talk about different stuff, a lot of our initiatives, and answer any questions that they may have. But it's it's not you know there's this perception that we're a club league. You know, with that comes the sort of antiquated notions. But we have a lot of people that give a lot of their time and a lot of effort to make sure that things run smoothly. And for the most part, they do. Obviously, like any organization, we run into our hiccups. But there there are a lot of people uh, putting in the time, and I think it's important for people to know that. Sure, yeah, no doubt. I, I know that, uh, you know, and the league's been around for a long time. A lot of different guys have had varying roles, and, and it does take a lot of time. Um when, when Utah announced that they were going into NCAA Division One, there was a tweet sent out um, that, that kind of questioned, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's so great for the game, we're growing the game, this or that. And, and someone asked, how? How does this actually grow the game? You know, especially in light of the MCLA not allowing um, club teams on NCAA campuses, you know, in theory, you know, and again, this is theory, uh, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of taking one – 45 players and, and just kind of shifting them into another uh, bucket, you know. And so I, I guess my question is, why, you know, how how does adding uh, divisional lacrosse from an MCLA school grow the game, you know, assuming that you think it does? Yeah, you know, I know the, the tweet, the person you're talking about. I think a little bit of that was sort of trying to sell the soap for the MCLA, saying, hey, hey we're doing this stuff too. And so I, I don't I would say it was – out of any kind of bitterness, but more of a, hey, you know, uh, we gave these guys an opportunity. So, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, you know, you still have options even if you don't go to Division One. So I, I would 
I don't put too much stock on it. Obviously, like I said, and it's embracing this stuff. And whether Utah wants wants it or not, you know, the MCLA, <laughs> as long as I'm here, we're going to take credit for the Utah, uh, you know, go Division <laughs> One. Uh, uh, sure. However silly that may seem to you guys, you'll, you'll probably I'll probably uh, tag you in a couple of tweets or whatever, uh, you know, saying talking about how uh, the MCLA has created a, you know, hopefully you guys go. 15 and 0 next year and win the national championship, and we can take credit for that too. So, uh, no, obviously, the goal I think for any college or, or you know, it's just lacrosse is an interesting community because it's very, it's still very niche sport. As much as we want to think it's a mainstream sport, it's still niche. And so, when things go well for it, I think everybody comes invested in that. And I think just the nature of the beast that you know, Division One. Is the top of the food chain, and when a team can go there, when they're added, I think it's sort of this mentality that you know, um, rising tide lifts all, all boats. You know, so MCLA, I, I think you know, taking credit for Michigan and Utah and all the other stuff, it helps us. Um, I think it's great, you know, to give opportunities for kids because I think at the end of the day, you know, I think obviously it's the NCAA is all about you know creating these opportunities because you know. Other than the kids on your staff, I mean, not, not a lot of kids go pro coming out of college. You know, it's just not the – or if they do, it's not – you know, they're not making a lot of money outside of Rabel and some other guys. So um, mm-hmm. I, I just think, obviously, Utah going Division One is fantastic. I think everybody's cheering for them. I hope everybody wishes them well. Um, and I, I think it grows the sport. So, I, you know, he may get some bitterness here and there for whatever reason. Uh, maybe there's a rivalry involved and – uh that may uh, cause that, but I, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. I think it's great. I would, uh, you know, I hope it's a great final season for you in the MCLA, and I wish nothing but instant success for you um, going forward. You know, and Coast Guard just knocked off the number one team in the country, you know, two years after leaving the MCLA, and uh, you know, I tweeted at them, and they tweeted back, thanked me for it. You know, just hey, another MCLA doing team doing well. So I think, I think everybody can get a piece of the pie when, you know, things are going great. Sure. Uh, what, what are some uh, some stories that uh, MCLA fans should keep their eye on uh, in, the, in the upcoming months? Oh, I, I think it's, you know, are you talking big picture or sort of is within the season? Uh, both, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to sort of announce a couple of the bigger initiatives. I think that over the summer will probably be the better time for those because I, <laughs> I want to make sure they come to fruition first. Um, but, you know, this season, I think, um, as we sort of alluded to earlier on, I think has the potential to give, you know, really 1 through 16 tournament that's going to be uh, interesting for all fans involved. And I, you know, and I hope everybody, if they get the opportunity to come to Salt Lake City, they do, because I think our championship this year could be a special one, just in terms of the competition and how close everybody is. Uh, and the name, you know, brand name teams that we will likely have there um, is is special. So I, I'm sort of in. I like the whole process. I like the I like those weekend or weekday games that sort of determine who's the last team to get into the PNCLA Division Two tournament. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's sort of the the nitty gritty, sort of the little dramas that go on every week in the MCLA. A lot of people don't get that. They they keep their eye on their team or sort of the the brand name teams, but uh, so so it's it's tough for me to answer that because I, I sort of I dig it all. I, I think it's a, it's a fun league to be involved in. Um, I'm hoping that you know some of the 
uh, larger media outlets will, will dedicate some time to cover because I think um, it, it, there's a lot of stories going on here that need to be told. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I can't answer your question perfectly. No, that's perfect. Um, you ready for uh, your rapid-fire questions? Lay it on me. <laughs> what's the best venue for lacrosse that you've been to? Well, I guess what's your what's your favorite venue that you've been to? Uh, the Dick Sporting Goods Park in Denver. I mean, if you take out the weather component there, that was <laughs> I, I thought that championship. I mean, because you were surrounded by fields, you do it all in one place, and you had that great field in the middle. I, you know, without the tornadoes and the snowstorms and everything else, I mean. That, I would have I would have pushed to stay there for the long haul. Uh, it was expensive, don't get me, but just in terms of like a fan experience and just overall experience, I, I would say Dick. Okay. Uh, in 2030, where will lacrosse be as a whole? So what's that mean? We got 12 years. 12 years. Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I think. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I think the potential is there for contraction. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of it is, you know, has to do with the economy and just sort of how the everything is going in that regard. You know, endowments, things of that nature. You know, not having any kind of downturn in the, the economy, where um, sort of that money that for athletic for the secondary sports. You're always going to have football. You're always going to have basketball. You're always going to have these sort of core sports. Um, it's the lacrosse is an expensive sport. And it's got a lot of people involved in it. So it's, it, as much as it, it's a great ad for us now, because the sport's booming, it's an easy, um, it's an easy cut because it saves a lot of money. Um, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of money. So I, I hope I'm wrong on that. I don't want to be pessimistic when I say that, especially with you got, on your podcast. You guys are just going there. But th that's my, my biggest concern, um, okay. is that, but I, I think, 2030, you know, you think, okay, Pac-12 tournament, or Pac-12 is going to be online by then. It should be, you know, uh, you know, hopefully the numbers are there. I think it's going to, the questions are going to be for all these other Pac-12s. They're going to have to cut sports to get lacrosse, in my opinion. And it's which ones, what can they cut to get there without causing the most uh, grief with their alumni and other other constituents? Sure. Yeah, and that could be a podcast in and of itself. That could probably be several episodes of a podcast, right? <laughs> right. Uh, if, if you could change one thing about lacrosse, what would it, what would it be? Uh, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> are you talking about like, like just like the on-field sort of rules? A anything. Yeah, it, it could be culture. It could be rules. It could be whatever. Um. I don't know. I, I'm. I know they're on the way. I'm not a timer. I'm not a uh, a shot clock guy or a two point guy or any of the MLL stuff. I, I, mm -hmm. I find MLL, with all due respect to your uh, your uh, assistant coaches, I, I find it yeah. very difficult to watch uh, and doing So I, I hope that the college game keeps its um, its sort of flavor and what what it has now and doesn't sort of chase this rabbit of more scoring or other stuff because I think the law of unintended consequences is going to kick in. I know this doesn't answer your question, but that's that's if I was going to just I want to stay away from all that MLL stuff when it comes to the um, NCAA slash MCLA ball. Okay, good good answer. Um, you're you're uh, you grew up playing baseball. Do you still watch baseball? 
Uh, my son has, you know, he's, well, I watch my son play baseball. I don't watch much on TV, <laughs> some football, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, my, I'm watching, uh, you just got done with basketball season, now it's soccer season. So, yeah, all of my sport watching, unfortunately, is usually on a Saturday morning or practice, you know, sitting on the sideline, reading the newspaper <laughs> or something sure. like that. So, I, 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 I'm a Red Sox fan, just growing up. If they're on TV, I might watch them. But if it's a random baseball game, yeah, I'm, it's not. <laughs> that'll be get so, changed quickly. So that was my next question. Who do you think will win the the 2018 World Series? I know it won't be the Red Sox. I think they're going to stink this year. <laughs> um, uh, I've heard the Yankees are going to be good, but the Astros won it last year. Um, are there any teams out your way? Is there a Utah team? Uh, so the market pushes us towards the Rockies. But uh, oh, okay. we have a we have a triple A team here who's an affiliate with the Los Angeles Angels. So yeah. are you are you a are you a closet baseball guy? I am. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> What's your team? Absolutely. The, the Angels. The Angels. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. They're supposed to be the Angels. I just Red Sox. I just I think they fell behind the Yankees this year, and um, so I'll hope for the best. But you know, I like a. A gritty bunch of underdogs, but that really hasn't been the Red Sox of late. Sure. So, uh, sure. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right, I like it. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Jack. I appreciate. It. Where can uh, where can people find you on uh, on social media and, and all that? Uh, Twitter at mcla, uh, Snapchat at the underscore mcla, Instagram uh, at the underscore mcla, um, Facebook is just uh, the mcla. And then, or it's actually Men's Collegiate Athletic Conference. Uh, our website is mcla.us. Uh, my information is on there. If anybody needs to contact me, uh, feel free to coin at mcla.us. Um, and yeah, we're out, we're out here. We're, uh, we're happy to answer any questions. If any, you know, if a prospective student athlete has a question about anything or if they need to get in contact with a coach, you know, we have, uh, go to the website and you can find all that information there. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I, and I appreciate you having me on, Tim. Uh, and best of luck to the UT here going forward. Thank you very much. We'll, uh, we, uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, we'll see you, uh, what, uh, mid-May for the national tournament. Whether, whether the UT are in it or not, I'll see you there. Can't wait. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. I want to thank Jack for coming on to the podcast. Don't forget to follow the team on social media. Twitter is at Utah Lacrosse. Instagram is at Utah Lacrosse. And slash Utah Lacrosse on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. I don't care who you cheer for, that was amazing.